Well, as I mentioned, we're in the Psalms. We're looking at how they point to Jesus. And this morning as we get going, I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Ira Sankey. Have you ever heard of him? Ira Sankey. Well, uh, here's who he was. Um, He was best known for his long association with an evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody. He was kind of to Moody what some of you might know Beverly, or George Beverly Shea was to, to Billy Graham. Uh, Ira Sankey, he was um, an incredible pioneer in the in introduction of different musical styles to church worship and different uh, flows of church services and all these different campaigns for generations. Today you might compare him to a guy like Chris Tomlin or David Crowder or Matt Redman. He just had an incredible influence on the church during his day over 100 years ago. Well, um, Ira was traveling by steamboat on Christmas Eve in 1875. And he would travel all over and and sing and, and lead worship and help churches. And he was recognized by some of the passengers. And so they asked him to sing. Sankey agreed. And he began singing uh, the hymn, Savior Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. Maybe some of you know that hymn. And he's singing it out. And when the song was done, one of the listeners stepped forward and he said, uh, hey, did you serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered. Well, can you remember if you were ever doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey said again. I I did do that occasionally. Well, this man, uh, he said, I was serving in the Confederate Army. And when I saw you one night standing at your post, I raised my gun and I took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed while the full light of the moon was falling on you. And at that instant... When I was about to pull the trigger, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing that same song. Let him, let him sing his song to the end, I kind of said to myself. Uh, you know, I can shoot him after. <laughs> and he says, I heard the words perfectly. We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. He, this Confederate soldier went on to sing. He said, I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother who sang that song to me. And when you finished, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I recognized your voice. And I thought, the Lord who's able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. You know, Proverbs 2 tells us that uh, God guards the paths of judgment. He watches over the way of the saints And today in our psalm, in Psalm 62, we see that God is a refuge and a fortress, one who guards us in times of danger. You ever felt threatened or in danger, fearful in your life? Psalm 62 is a great psalm for you. And sometimes the reality is, like Sankey, we're in a lot of danger and we don't even know it. (laughs) And yet God is our refuge and our protector. So with that, if you got your Bible, open up to Psalm 62 with me. Let's just read the whole thing. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to just kind of work our way through it together. Sound good? So uh, Psalm 62. It begins, there's a little notation uh, to the choir master, because remember, every psalm, do you remember what psalms means? 
means songs. So all these are just like song lyrics. We just got the lyrics without the music. To the choir master, according to Jedithan, don't really know who he is, uh, a psalm of David. Maybe he was a musician of some sort. For God alone my soul waits in silence, David writes. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? You know, I asked if you had ever felt like you were in danger. We don't know the exact occasion of David writing this, but we know who wrote it, that David did, and he was king, and often he faced these different situations where he was under attack, and he was about to be knocked over like a leaning wall, and they just thought, they, oh, if we just, do, we just about have him, and people were out for him. And so he's writing about one of these circumstances, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul. Now he starts talking to himself. Wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And again, he says, Selah, which is just a musical notation to pause or to wait, or it can mean to stop, like Newt told us last week, and think, consider it. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate, they're a delusion. In the balances, they all go up. They are together lighter than breath. So put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. And he closes by saying, uh, for you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. And, and before we pray, the key piece for you to know in this psalm is this, that David is making God his only source of trust. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, thank you, Jesus, that you are a reliable hope and refuge and fortress and salvation for us. You're, you're the only one. Help us learn from uh, David's words here, the words you inspired him to write, uh, that you would have for us today that, to trust you alone, not in anything else or anyone else, but to wait silently, patiently for you, for your word, for you to act. Help me, Holy Spirit, I pray, as I teach your word. Uh, help all of us to understand what you've written and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing you should know, uh, David, what he's teaching us here and what this psalm, this song is all about is about relying on God alone, on God alone. In fact, uh, there's a Hebrew word for alone or only. And in this psalm, this psalm is 12 verses. It shows up five times in the first six verses and six times total. It's the Hebrew word, it's kind of fun to say, Hak, ach, like that. I didn't say it right the first time. 
Like if you're clearing your throat, ah, I mean, it's just this kind of guttural like that. It means alone, only, that's it. Next time you clear your throat, just think God alone, rely on him alone. <laughs> but that word, what's curious is uh, in, the, in the Hebrew text, uh, and it's Hebrew poetry, so we don't always kind of, it doesn't translate real well the artistic side of it into English. The words do, but the artistry of it is that in the Hebrew, that's the first word in every line that it comes up in. So six different times, and in five of the first six verses, it's only, alone, God alone, God only. I mean, in, the, in these verses, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock and my salvation. The only plans to thrust him down, the only plan the, the people do to thrust him down, for God alone, my soul wait. He only is my rock. Those of low estate are but only a breath. And, and if we were reading this in Hebrew, we would hear only, 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 alone. And we'd recognize that David's trying to say, hey, pay attention, make God alone your hope. Rely on him alone. Uh, one uh, scholar by the name of Marvin Tate, he takes a stab at trying to maybe render this with the word yes. It may, might be helpful to think about it. His lines go like this, these same verses. He says, yes, my soul waits calmly for God. Yes, he's my rock where I'm secure. Yes, despite being a person of high status. Yes, calmly wait for God on my soul. Yes, he's my rock where I'm secure. Yes, ordinary people are but a breath. That's a little bit helpful, right? But it, it kind of ignores David's emphasis on only, on alone. So I was thinking, uh, what would be a better way to kind of impress this on your hearts of waiting for God alone and how David does this. And so I thought, well, what if Yoda read this verse? <laughs> and then I thought, well, I could do my good impersonation of Yoda. It's really not that good. But then I found, I remembered AI. And there's AI sites where you can type in the text and you can make Yoda talk. So listen to Yoda say it and then note how you should rely you think I'm joking, here it comes, on God alone. Only for God my soul waits, hmm? <laughs> Only he my fortress is, not shaken will I be. Only tear him down they do, curses they speak. <laughs> Only for God waits my soul, silently, yes. Only he my rock is, shaken I am not. Only a breath people are, trust them do not. Do you see? <laughs> God only. So now I got two things for you to remember to rely on God alone the next time you clear your throat and the next time you watch Star Wars. God alone. That's what David's point is. Friends, rely on him alone. That's how he writes this text. Yoda's translation is actually maybe a little bit better than our English one in that respect. Focusing us on the fact that it's God alone. Him alone we should wait for. You see this theme throughout the Psalms, right? Uh, be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted, God says, in the earth. Now, we might all agree with this idea of relying on God alone, right? If, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going like, well, duh, Josh, like I get that. I mean, the, the fact that you have salvation in Christ is because of Christ alone. You, you've put your faith in him alone. That's easy for us to do, right? But what's a lot harder, at least I can speak for me, 
It's not that we don't trust God. It's not that we don't trust him for our salvation to become a Christian. It's that we don't trust him alone throughout the rest of life for our reputation, for our uh, provision, for our family, for our security, for our hope. David, uh, surrounded multiple times in his life by enemies on every side, who were ready to take him down like a tottering fence, like a leaning tower, says, my soul waits alone for God. My soul waits in silence for him. He alone is my hope and my salvation. He says, uh, wait, be quiet. He says, for God alone, my soul waits, how? In, in, In silence. This is a good word for us today, isn't it? How many of you, uh, let's see, where did I put it? Have one of these that just kind of makes noise at you all the time. And if it's not making noise, there's something on the screen that grabs your attention. And if it's not this device, it's another one, or it's the television, or it's your computer, or... When was the last time you waited in silence? Those few seconds right now might be the most silence you've had this week. Wait in silence for him. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation, David writes. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I I shall not be greatly shaken, he says. And then he starts talking about those who are after him. He kind of starts just pouring out his heart as it relates to the danger he faces, the things that are threatening him. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, like you're you're just trying to knock it over. How long are you gonna keep going? These people, they only plan to thrust him down. He's really speaking of himself, but he's also speaking of God. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. Sure, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I can, and I'm sure you can, think of maybe people in your life or people you've interacted with, and you're like, yeah, that's totally them. Like, I don't trust anything coming out of their mouth. It's all roses, but inwardly I know what's going on. You can think of that person, can't you? Okay, well now how about, uh, have you ever been that person? Just me? <laughs> yeah, I think we have, haven't we? We've been that person too, and yet God is so gracious and good toward us. But the, the thing David's uh, making clear to us is that only, only, only They only plan to thrust him down, so only trust in God. Don't even trust in yourself. You can be like this too. Only trust him. For God alone, my soul wait in silence. See, now in verse five, David starts kind of preaching to himself. You ever talk to yourself? I do it all the time. You'd think I I was crazy. 
sometimes if you walk into my office. He starts preaching to himself, oh, my soul, wait in silence. I wonder if after he had said, I'm, I'm, I'm secure, God alone is my hope, and then he starts focusing for a moment on everything surrounding him, all the danger, all the things to worry about, and now he's like, okay, I gotta remind myself, oh, my soul, wait in silence. I just need to turn everything off, put it all away, get alone, be quiet. My hope's from him. It doesn't matter what they're saying on Facebook. It doesn't matter what's coming across my Instagram feed. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world politically. It, I need silence because my hope is him. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. You know, it's curious. This word, a wait in silence. I already gave you one Hebrew word. I'll give you one more. Uh, domiyah or damim is, it shows up a couple different times it's the same root word but it means silence and it shows up at different times in scripture but one spot in particularly in the book of 1 Kings in 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, there's a guy named Elijah maybe you've heard of him he's a prophet and uh, God does some incredible things through Elijah and he confronts uh, the prophets of Baal and uh, it's, it's a pretty good account, King, 1 Kings 18 and 19. And then at the end of that, after he kills them all, uh, Jezebel is after Elijah. And she's like, hey, let, whatever you did to them, uh, if by this time tomorrow I don't do to you, watch out, I'm coming for you. And now Elijah suddenly feels like David, surrounded like a tottering fence. She's coming after him for serving God. And um, he takes off running, and, and he's afraid. And um, in, in fact, in, in 1 Kings, uh, verse 19, let me pull this up here for a moment. Uh, Elijah is, is just crying out to God, and he even says, uh, God, just let me, let me die. This isn't good. And, and so God speaks to him and he says to Elijah, he says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And he means to go out to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. And behold, the Lord passed by. Uh, Elijah listened to God who had fed him after he was tired and weary and got him to this place after a long 40 day journey. And he stands there waiting for God and behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Would that get your attention? Any thunderstorms this week? But behold, the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, uh, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. Elijah's tired. I mean, he's running for his life. He needs a word from God. He hears all these things that are just full of power, right? He's got to be thinking, yes, here we go. Nope, that wasn't him. Nope. And then after, the sound of a, after that, the sound of a low whisper. Domima. Doma, silence. 
That's really what it, it is. It could be translated the sound of silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. God came to him when what? When he was quiet. When he was still. When he put everything else away. And he just waited. And that's what David's doing here. He's, he's waiting in silence. It's to not only be quiet, but to stay still. To anticipate. To hope. I mean, when Elijah's standing there in silence, what's he, what's he waiting for? He's not just being quiet, you know. He's anticipating that, that God is going to speak to him. He stays still. He anticipates. He hopes. And what we... You may have God speak to you audibly like he did Elijah. I don't know. He never has to me. But he has spoken to all of us in his word. And so we, we can stay still and be silent and we can hear from God in his word. And that's what David's encouraging us to do in this psalm. And he says, for God alone, O oh my soul. He's telling himself, wait in silence for my hopes from him. He only... Uh, is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I won't be shaken. I won't. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. His refuge, his hiding place. You know, I, many of you know I, I grew up in, in Iowa in a small town not unlike Milford, in northwest Iowa. And uh, until I was in third grade, we actually lived on the farm. And uh, it wasn't uncommon growing up, even into high school after we moved in uh, to the little town of Alta, that at least once or twice a summer and spring, we were, we were down in the basement during some severe weather. There was just, there were tornadoes every summer without fail. Well, one time when I was about my son Charlie's age, seven or eight years old, we were still living on the farm, a tornado uh, actually touched down on our farm. And uh, there was a hog confinement building. I couldn't find a picture other than this one from a newspaper. Uh, this is my dad, uh, my little brother. I have three little brothers, but there's only one at that time. Me, there I am, with that, rocking that nice hat. I think it's Iowa State. And then our dog, Muttley, is down there in the corner. And uh, we were all huddled in the basement, in the corner. And the tornado hit, and it peeled the roof off of this hog confinement building and slammed it up against the house. Thankfully, it kind of took off from there. It never hit the house, but it was like directly in line with the house where it blew. And we were just huddled. We didn't know any different. We were just down in the musty old basement waiting. It was our refuge. It was our hope. Well, uh, David tells us that for him, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of everything going on, his hiding place, the place where he went for safety, is God. That God is his refuge. God is his fortress. God is his protection from whatever storms blow and from whatever gets slammed up against the house in his life. From whoever's trying to attack him, he can always wait silently and patiently with God and for him alone. Trust him at all times, then he says, O oh people, and pour out your heart before him. God's a refuge for us. You know, that's a good reminder too, to pour out your heart to God. That's what David's 
does so often. He pours out his heart to God. That's what I mentioned Elijah. That's what he was doing before God spoke to him. This is, uh, well, here's from Psalms. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And he remembers the good things of God. But then with Elijah, uh, he himself, he went a day's journey in the wilderness. He came and sat down under a tree. This was after Jezebel threatened him. And he asked that he might die. He's just pouring his heart out to God. Was God surprised by how down Elijah was in the moment? No. God knew. And it was okay for him to just be real and honest and pour out his heart to him. It's enough, Lord. Take away my life. I'm no better than everybody who came before me, all my fathers. And he's like, I've been jealous for the Lord. I've done all these things for you. And then all of this, he just pours out his heart. But the people, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I, now at this point, his thinking is kind of stinking thinking because he thinks he's the only one left, that he's the only one who's suffering. He's the only one. And God reminds him later in the passage that he has many more like him. And he just pours out his heart. Or how about, how about Hannah in the Old Testament? Hannah longed to be a mom. And it just didn't happen. And so she goes to the priest and uh, while she's there worshiping at the temple, she prays and she, he thinks while she's crying that she's drunk and she says to the priest, no, I'm, I'm just a woman who's troubled. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been just pouring out my soul before the Lord. See, maybe that's what you need to do. Just get silent, put everything away and just pour out your heart to God. But then don't just like pour it out and run away. Don't just dump on him and leave. Sit and wait in silence for him to speak from his word. And here's the thing to keep in mind. Here's what David tells us is that rely on God alone because every other refuge will fail you. It will. It'll totally fail you. And not, uh, see, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're pretty good at putting our trust in Jesus for our salvation, but maybe not relying on him every day of our life. And it's kind of like, you ever, you ever sit over at the lake and watch somebody try to get out of a boat by the dock? Sometimes they're stepping out of the boat and the boat's not anchored or tied down and they just step onto the dock like this. And what happens is as they push themselves up, they're kind of like this guy, they push themselves up and in doing so, the transfer of weight pushes the boat away from them and if you wait long enough to watch, down they go. See, uh, here, there's a little replay, I think, even of this, in case you missed it. It's not the greatest video. There he is. Now you see him. He's like, oh, 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 now you don't. (laughs) That's what it's like to trust in Jesus and something else. James says you're double-minded, unstable in all your ways, and, and and just you fall. Trust in God alone. Don't trust in God plus something else, you know? Not God not Jesus and my job and my friend and the political climate and my hard work. David's reference here, he says, don't trust in people. He mentions the people who are after him in verses three and four. And then in verse nine, he even says this about people and he uses the word only again. He says, though of low estate or but, they're only a breath. And those of high estate, they're just a delusion. All of them go up in the balances. Together, they're lighter than a breath. 
Again, a lot like James, saying that what is our life but a mist, vanishes a dawn. It's just quick, don't, don't trust in people. People aren't gonna rescue you and save you. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have friends or you don't rely on people for different things, but don't trust in them for your salvation and for your hope and for your identity. Trust in God alone for that. He alone is your hope and your salvation. The psalmist in 118 writes, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Put not your trust in princes, in the son of man in whom there's no salvation. If you have, but you might just like highlight this, write it in the cover of your Bible, put it on your calendar for November, 2024. Put not your trust in princes. So don't trust in people. Also, David says, don't trust in wealth, right? Put no trust in extortion. Set, set no vain hopes on robbery. <coughs> if riches increase, they might. Don't set your heart on them. Don't find your identity in things that will fail. Every other refuge but God will fail you eventually. It will. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. See, instead, uh, God's power and love endure, though, forever. And that's really the heart of what David's telling us here. Rely on God alone. Every other refuge will fail, but God's power and his love, and they endure forever. He goes on, uh, verse 11, at the very end of the psalm, for God has spoken. Twice I've heard this. You know, we have a, one of our values, we say God has wrote it all down. That like, a, it's such a waste of time to come to church and hear from somebody and not hear from God's word because God is the source of our hope, right? He, he's our hope, he's our salvation. Once God has spoken, look at this, David says, twice I've heard this. Parents, how many of you, that's totally the opposite of how it works with your kids? Like twice, five, 20 times you've spoken and maybe once they've heard. <laughs> but David says, God has spoken so clearly once he's spoken and twice I've heard. Or, or maybe two things that I've heard. First, that power belongs to God, his sovereign power. Even when everything else in the world seems powerful, God is all powerful. And that to you, O Lord, verse 12, belongs steadfast, unfailing, faithful love. His power and his love. And isn't it good that God has both sovereign power and steadfast love? I mean, imagine if he had just, if, if he only had ultimate power, he'd be powerful enough to save you, but if he didn't have a matching love and mercy in his character, would he? <laughs> or if God was all, all, all loving and all merciful, but he didn't have any power, he desired to save you and to rescue you, and he wasn't powerful, could he? See, it's his sovereign power and his steadfast love. That's our hope. And all of that uh, comes together perfectly in Jesus Christ. Friends, it's all about Jesus. He's all powerful, he's all loving, he's your only hope. The end of this psalm, did you notice what it says? For the Lord will render to a man, to a person, according to their work, according to what they do. 
Well, one time uh, there were uh, some religious leaders who were challenging Jesus and they asked him, they said, um, so Jesus, what is it that we should do? What is uh, the work of God? They said, what must we do? Here we go. To be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Your only work to be declared righteous by God is to put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus, your refuge. And what's amazing is that then he takes all of your sin, all of your junk, all of mine, all everything. Luther called it the great exchange. I wrap up all my garbage and I give it to him and he wraps up all his righteousness and gives it to me. And so now when it says at the end of that psalm that God will render to a person according to their work, guess whose work, if you've put your faith in Christ and given him your junk, repented, and taken his righteousness, guess whose work God will render judgment to you according to? To Jesus's. His perfection, his goodness is now yours. <laughs> and that's why he's a refuge. That's why he's your hope. That's why David said he's my salvation and my rock. That's why he waits for him alone in silence. Let me pray. We're gonna sing and uh, then we'll call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that... Uh, because of Jesus' work on the cross, you will render to us not according to our sin, but according to Jesus' righteousness. That we're forgiven and uh, we have safety and love and security in you. Thank you that you are all powerful to save us and that you're all loving to want to save us. Father, help us this week, help me. Be silent, uh, to wait on you alone pour out our hearts to you, but then to wait for your word, to hear from you. Speak to us, I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone in this room, in shout of my voice, speak truth to us this week, encouragement and hope. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.